You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Praise the Lord. Come with me to John chapter 6. We are going to start from there and trust the Lord to, to guide us by His Spirit. My prayer for you and I this morning is that we will live here knowing God more. We will live here understanding him more. That we will never, none of us will live here the same way we have come in the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, is a very long chapter. And maybe when you go home, you can just read the entire chapter. And um, it's one of those passages in the Bible where so many things happen. We started by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, feeding the multitude. And then he went on to the conversation he had with them. When they sought him after the miracle of the five loaves and two fish. And they sought after him and he confronted them. In John chapter six twenty-six, Jesus says to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, or because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And 27 says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the Father has set his seal on him. Now, when we're singing, I love the way you love me. So I was saying, truly, only Jesus can say such a thing. Imagine if you came for a convention and the Lord anointed me and uh, what it is that every dollar that you have or those who don't have dollar, dollar will appear. And all of you become millionaires, you know, in dollars in that meeting. Then the next day you come for part two of the meeting and I begin to tell you, why did you come? I hope you didn't come because I made you millionaires. Will any human being say that? They're going to tell you the anointing is on me. Today you're going to become what? Trillionaires, because I'm going to multiply what I multiplied yesterday, isn't it? But this is what is happening here. Jesus had worked a miracle, and the people ate of the loaves, and they knew that this was a mighty thing. In fact, the Bible says in verse 14, if you go back in 14, the Bible says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So they saw what happened, it amazed them. Then Jesus now begins to spoil the whole thing. He says, you're not seeking me because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves. And the NLT translation of verse 26, please show it to us, captures what I believe Jesus was trying to say. Our Lord Jesus replied and said to them, I tell you the truth. So the way he loves us is that he loves us with the truth. He loves us what? With the truth. Many times, in fact, in your mind and in my mind, when we say we love someone or someone loves us, one of the things you, you want about that person is never to tell you the truth. How many married people are here? You don't want that person to tell you exactly the way. You want the person to tell you what you want to hear. So when you say someone loves you, you actually imagine in your mind the people who are always nice, unquote. I don't know what nice means to you. But people who are always nice to you. And that is 
our limited understanding of love. But Jesus doesn't love us like that. Remember, he is the way. He is the truth. And he is what? The life. Everything Jesus will say to you will lead you to God. Everything Jesus will do for you will bring life to you. Everything you do with him will always be true. That's why when Peter said to him, you will never go to the cross. What did he say to him? He, Jesus loved Peter. Jesus dearly loved Peter. But that, what did he say? He said, get behind me what? Satan. Because at that moment, in that instance, Peter was functioning with an anointing from hell. So he immediately rebuked him. Now, many of us cannot tolerate that. But that is the way Jesus loves us. How many still love the way he loves us? And you want him to continue to love us that way? Praise the Lord. So this is what he said. He said, I tell you the truth. He always tells us the truth. And he said, you want to be with me because I fed you. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understand the miraculous signs. So here he wasn't saying, I will not feed you always. And he was also not saying, I will always feed you. But he was saying the purpose of that miracle was not for you to be fed. It was to, for you to have understanding. Praise the Lord, somebody. It was to bring an understanding. Now, the difference between being fed and having an understanding is, you know, it's a bit delicate, but we'll try and capture it. People have said, there's a saying that says, don't give me fish, isn't it? But teach me how to catch fish. Jesus was saying to them, you ate bread that I gave to you, but I wanted you to go beyond that so that even if I didn't give you bread, you will still survive. That's what he was saying. I want to teach you something. And this miracle, you know, to see how important this was to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit, this was one of the few miracles that was recorded in all the Gospels. Matthew recorded it, Mark recorded it, Luke recorded it, and John. Okay, so the four of them recorded it. But what I want us to see here is that in all the places where this miracle was recorded, the major thing Jesus referred to after the miracle was not the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. In Matthew and in Mark, after they, they had done the miracle, they were going to another place and he said to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And immediately, just like in everyone, the disciples said, ah, we didn't bring bread, though. We didn't bring enough bread. And then Jesus turned and said to them, I'm not speaking to you about bread. Did you not understand the miracle of... Are you seeing what he's saying? He, he meant that that whole wonder, that whole miracle he did of feeding... You see, our God is not dramatic. Our God... I want you to get this. When you see drama... Just know that it's most likely not God. Our God is not dramatic. Look at the earth he created. Do you know how easy it would have been for God if you planted corn? You just plant corn in the ground. And then you see something come up like this. It comes up like this. It shoots out, shoots out. Then, you know, everything comes out. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of us have, we all have lights in our homes, right? When you get into your house and you switch on the light, does it rise like the sun? Who knows the exact time that darkness fades and light comes up? God is not dramatic. But he says, surely light is coming. And then when the dark, when evening comes, he's going to also do it smoothly. Our God is not into, you know, drama aspect. No. But he walks his works. 
Praise the Lord, somebody. That's, he works his works. But that miracle of feeding the multitude had some drama in it. There were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And they were hungry. Three days, no food. They were hungry. So you can imagine the situation in the camp. And he said, make them sit down. And let them sit down in groups of 50s. And they sat down right in front of them. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, lifted it up, gave thanks. That's what we, you know, we learned that very important here. We give thanks. And when we give thanks, things do what? Multiply. That was what the miracle, you know, showed us. But the lesson we want to go further today is where we're going. But let's follow. So he lifted the bread in front of them. And everybody saw him with five loaves and two fish. And knew that all they had in that vicinity were how many? Five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, I will feed you. So everybody was watching. Let's see how this man will feed all of us with how many? Five loaves and two fish. And these five loaves and two fish were told by John, you know, by Andrew, that there's a lad. It meant that it was food sufficient to feed a lad, not a man. So I don't know the size of the five loaves, you know, and the two fish, whatever. But these five loaves, the people saw how right before their eyes, the five loaves took care of the disciples, took care of the 5,000 men, took care of the women, took care of the children. And it wasn't just enough. It was what? More than enough. And when the Bible says, you see, that they had left over. Now, you understand that in that kind of environment, they were not watching their weight. Praise the Lord. They were not looking at that bread and saying it has calories. Nobody had taught them BMI. There was no doctor weighing them. No, they had no skills. So they must have eaten to their fill. And after eating, they still had how many baskets? Twelve baskets remaining. However, if tomorrow they seek Jesus, do you blame them? Which work can pay you like this? Follow him and you eat till you're fed up. Isn't it? That's what they saw. So Jesus, knowing the impact that miracle made on their minds, was careful to turn them from just the spectacular or the dramatic into the sign of the miracle. And what was he trying to say to them? He's saying, I'm showing you something greater. There is a greater benefit that you can get from what I did than your stomach being filled. Paul saying to us, says, my belly, or rather meat was made for the belly, and the belly what? For meat. But all of a sudden, what? Both of them will be destroyed. A time will come. So he was saying to them when Jesus said, he said, do not labor for the food that what? Perishes. It's a lesson. Is something you and I must grasp. So we say here that in the Bible, we are taught intentionally by God that miracles are meant more to be understood than to be relished. Miracles are meant more to be what? Understood than to be relished. And this shows you where we also miss it. As the church today, where we keep on teaching miracles, miracles, miracles. There is nothing wrong with miracles. Our God is a miracle-working God. Is there anybody here who cannot testify that he has experienced a miracle? I have experienced many, many, many miracles. Anybody has? Let me see your hand. 
Now, now, even this miracle of the five loaves and two fish, let me share with you what happened. We have experienced it in my house. Many years ago, I think this must have been about 2004 or five. And um, the governor's fellowship, the men's fellowship, you know, because I'm the pastor, sometimes I imagine that, um, you know, my house, the bands in my house are stocked up by angels. So they said I should host governor's meeting. At that season, we're passing through some difficult, you know, financial situations. So we really didn't have enough food, but, and we didn't have the money for the food also. It was diff- that difficult. But they said we should host governor's meeting. And, you know, I told my wife, you know how it is, men, when they pass the wahala to you, once it has to do with home, you just do what? You pass the ball to your wife and you sleep. So I passed the ball to her. We have to host governors. After she had, you know, cried and made in everything she could do. What can we do? We're hosting governors. At least the house was there. Praise the Lord. The seats are going to be brought from church. So when the people come, they will sit down. There will be a canopy on top of them. And, you know, the meeting will hold. Long and short was she managed with the little we had, went to the market, bought rice, bought chicken, bought some of the things she bought. And we made one of the few times I prayed that the attendance in the meeting would be very low. (laughs) She did her best, you know, cooked what she could cook, and we prepared for these men. The men came, the attendance was not low, and if you've been in the governor's meeting, the appetite was like the appetite of these people here. They ate it, they were fed up. But do you know what happened? We that didn't have enough before the meeting, what she cooked for that meeting on Sunday, for almost two weeks, we were eating from it. How it happened, I don't... At a stage, we said, ah, ah, what is going on? And tears are almost coming out from my eyes. We'll go and open the fridge, bring out the bowl. There is still rice. We'll open the bowl, bring out chicken is there. Somehow, we kept it. We were increased by hosting that meeting. God works miracles. And if you're trusting God for a miracle, one will happen. You know? Yes, he does work miracles. Especially when you're stretched. It was, it would, I would have been righteous if I rebuked them. All you men, how many times have you contributed money and said, Pastor, take, you know, or rather bought rice and brought to my house? You're asking me to host just like that. You know, that's why I like old school pastors. Thanksgiving, they bring chicken. Today is Thanksgiving. Did anybody bring fowl for me? <laughs> or goat or something? <laughs> you know, so if you go to such a person and say, I'm coming to your house to eat, at least you're in the spirit or in the flesh. I don't know which one. <laughs> You know, anyway, but, but that stretched us and we experienced, we, I mean, we just didn't understand. We, she didn't cook for a while. We were just eating and eating and eating and eating from the same bowl that these men ate from. Now, what am I saying? God is a miracle word, working God. But God does not work miracles for drama. He doesn't work miracles for shouting. He works it that you will understand something. And that is what we want to see, you know, in in the little time we have here. In this miracle of feeding of the multitude, Jesus wanted these people to believe in him. That's what he said clearly. He said, give me the living Bible translation, please, of that verse 26. He says, the truth of the matter is that you want to be with me because what? I fed you, not because what? You believe in me. So the essence, again, we see of miracles is that you will do what? Believe in him. Believe in him. 
If you go further down, that's why I said this uh, John 6 is a very powerful one. In John 6, 29, this is what Jesus said to them. In response to their question, when they asked him, verse 28, they said to him, what shall we do that we may walk the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, well, this is the work of God that you would believe in him whom he sent. So the essence of every miracle is that you will believe in God. That's it. Every miracle is that you believe in him. Now, it gets interesting because in the other account that we have in Matthew, when Jesus you know, was speaking to the disciples about the same miracle, he said to them, Matthew 16, 5 to 12. Matthew 16, 5 to 12. When he said to them that I'm not speaking to you concerning bread, but I'm speaking to you concerning the leaven of the Pharisees to beware of it. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? It's a teaching. It's doctrine that is contrary to the truth of God. So in essence, the love of God is particular that you know him and know his truth. Are you getting it? It's particular that you know him and know his truth. And like they will say in court, say nothing but the truth. How, do, how did they say it again? This is the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's what God wants you to know. So when he was saying to the disciples here, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He was saying, beware of anything that is not the whole truth. Beware of any teaching, anything that would divert you, distract you from the whole truth. Now, coming back to what we're saying here, Jesus is saying to you and I, I am your God. I am your creator. I can meet every need you have. I can exceed every need you have. Power belongs to me. I'm sure no Christian doubts the power of God. Once has thou spoken, twice have I heard it that word. Power belongs to God. So you, you believe this, you know what it's going to do for you? You will have peace. That scripture that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. When you know that God has power to do anything, your peace level will go. And that's one of the things miracles does for us. You know that God can work miracles. So no matter how dare the situation is, no matter how tight the situation is, like Nigeria now, I'm expecting miracle. I'm expecting a miracle, praise the Lord. In your life, expect God works what? Miracle. The power to work it is with him. Praise the Lord. He's almighty. He's the one who created the world. However, Psalm 103 verse 7, who goes on to say something to us there. He's speaking about, speaking about Moses and the children of Israel. He said he made known his word, his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Now, what are ways? Way is, way, his ways here will talk of his character, will talk of his manner, will talk of his intention. But the children of Israel, what did they see? They saw the miracles. I've seen here again where the Bible distinguishes. In fact, when I put this in my Bible, said, I saw that a lot of people in the Bible, God separated their ways and acts. Several kings, they'll say, this was his act, this was his ways, this was his act, this was his ways. It means that as you're seated here now, I might be seeing your act, but I may not know your ways. I pray that your ways are right in the sight of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, because they're not always the same. 
anyway, so he says, I made known my ways. So we see that it is the intention of Jesus that his acts would direct me into knowing what? His ways. His acts would direct me into knowing his ways. A simple one, you know, which we can take as we go on here is that because God can do anything at any time, if he has not done something in this time, he's doing something. Do you get what I'm trying to say? It means that no child of God is caught in a trap. You can tie that with the scripture that says, no temptation has befallen you, but such as what? Come unto man. But God is what? Faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear? But with every, how many temptations? Every, every temptation, God has a way. It means that in any situation, he has a way. Now, if I know his ways, not just his acts, then I'll know that if God does not multiply, it might be a season of fasting. Is someone getting in there? Because I know that he's doing something. But when I only know his acts, that's when if something does not happen, I murmur. And that's why the children of Israel kept murmuring. You see, it's amazing the experiences people had with God. These are people who saw God in one moment shift the treasures of Egypt into their hands. These were people who saw Pharaoh beg them, you know, to depart. And then they were at the Red Sea and they saw the armies of Pharaoh. Something should have told them that God who moved their hearts to give us their treasures. Can't he be bringing them here to bid us farewell? Have you thought about that? The Bible said when Paul was leaving, which city was it again? Was it a, one of the cities in Europe? He said everybody came to the sea to, see, to bid him farewell. Couldn't he have been bringing Pharaoh and his armies to wave bye-bye to them? And he saw what God said to Moses. When Moses was panicking, you know, well, I don't know whether he was panicking, but the children of Israel were panicking. And then Moses went to God to say, see what I said. What did God say to him? He said, keep quiet, go forward. He meant there is nothing for us to discuss here. I've settled it. Praise the Lord. That's what happens when you begin to know, not just his acts, but his way. God cannot bring you this far to abandon you. Why will he work all that miracle? Why will he separate between the house of the children of Israel and the house of the Egyptians and then bring them out so that the people will come back at the Red Sea and kill them? I mean, you should think that's what understanding is about. That's what understanding is about. So God, you know, in the scriptures is particular that we have this understanding because that is what is now going to influence our reaction and our response to situations, which is what is going to bring the true blessings. You know, people misunderstand a lot of things. Miracles don't bless anybody, in a sense. No, they don't. It's the understanding of miracles. The children of Israel, do you know the number of miracles they saw? That whole generation, every one of them that were wise enough to have understood the miracles, but only benefited from it, never entered the promised land. All of them, 20 years and above. God said every one of them would die in the wilderness. So they were eating the miracle food. They were seeing the pillar of cloud by day. They were seeing the pillar of fire by night. All miracles. But they were dying. Because they never saw beyond it to see that. That God who can raise a pillar of fire to guide us by night. And pillar of cloud to guide us by day. Will he lead us to the hidden to destroy us? Do you ask yourself questions at times? 
Did God bring me this far? Did God save me? Did God put me in this office to be humiliated? Did God give me a husband so that every day I'm crying? There's a painful account that we have, you know, uh, uh, experience, you know, that, that I heard of recently. You know, about a lady that had been married, how many years this would have just had a child? 18 years. And then this lady finally had a child. I think, you know, uh, just like the normal, you know, reaction of human beings. She wanted a child, wanted a child. She had a child. After the child was born, the lady died. After 18 years. Sad. And you begin to wonder, what went wrong? I don't know. I don't know. But you see, God wants you to know that he knows what he's doing. And he can do anything. And if he doesn't do that thing you want, ask him, what are you doing? That's understanding. In Exodus 15, because of time, we may not be able to read all of it. I wanted us to read that to see all that God was. But how unfortunately, maybe we can turn to it. Exodus 15, Exodus 15 from verse 1. That was when the children of Israel came out from Egypt. And the, the Bible says, verse 15, is called, my Bible thinks it the song of Moses. It says that Moses and the children of Israel sang the song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. These are the things I remind myself. Is it that God doesn't know where Boko Haram is? He knows. Is it that he doesn't know where Fulani headsmen are? Can? He knows. The Lord is a man of what? War. The Lord is his name. His Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The deaths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. Isn't that what they're saying? But he said, you blew with your wind. Lord, please blow with your wind in Nigeria. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 11 says, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders you know we can jump from there and we go to we go to verse 13 verse 13 says you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation so all this god was doing was to direct the people to the promised land so we see something that is very important here the greatness of his power was used to subdue the enemies but verse 13 says, you have led your people. God does not lead Christians by his greatness. He leads us by his spirit. But Psalm 66 verse 3, please. This is what Psalm 63 says. He says, how awesome are your works? Through the great, let's read it together everybody. How awesome are your works? Through the greatness of your power, what happened? Your enemies shall submit themselves to you. You know, have you read some things in the Bible that are not applicable to you, but you wish 
it applied to you. I wish this scripture applied to you. I wish that through the power of God, I will be 100% obedient to him. Do you understand? I wish when God wants me to give, no matter how tight-fisted I am, I will just move like this. And then, you know, the power will leave me again. When God wants me to witness to somebody, even if I'm shy, I'll just move. Jesus loves you. He died for you. If you don't repent, hell is waiting for you. Thank you. What did I do? What did I do? Do you understand? But he doesn't use that for us. He leads us. He wants us to. I mean, it might, you have the power God has. Why will you be asking people to obey you? Do you understand? He says, through the greatness of your power, your enemies do what? They submit to you. You, you're not asking them to obey you, you. It's commanded. It's imperative on them because you subdue them. But God doesn't subdue believers. The way He loves us, He does not subdue us. But you know what? It makes it a bit dicey. You know what He does for you and I? Because of the way He loves us, He tells us the truth. He tells us the truth. Somebody's going to get something here. One of the truths that God has told us, His children. That we must embrace wholeheartedly. Is the truth that this world is not our home. And if you marry this with what we began to say. That God works miracles. But many times he has things beyond miracles he wants to achieve. The greatest desire in the heart of God. We said this. I think we said the greatest thing God wants to work in us. I think last Wednesday. Is that he wants you to be like his son. That's the greatest project God has in your life. His greatest project is not to make you a millionaire or to make you a billionaire or to get you married. That's not his greatest project because the unbelievers, that has been achieved in them. It's not to make you president. It's not to make you the boss of your organization. No. His greatest project is to make you to look like his son. Now his greatest desire, Jesus said, that they might be with me where I am. That's God's greatest desire. So when heaven looks at your life, the greatest joy that Jesus has over you is not that you're looking beautiful today. It's that you're coming to be with him someday. When you identify with that truth, and that's why he was saying to the children of Israel, I'm leading you. But they didn't want to follow. Whereas he was leading them to the promised land, Constantly, the children of Israel were saying, how we miss Egypt. And you're wondering, what kind of people are this? Have you ever wondered that? They were slaves in Egypt. They were under hard labor in Egypt. They were being beaten with cords in Egypt. And God was leading them to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But these people would say, no, we don't want to go there. At every instance, several times they said to Moses, Moses I think God brought us here to kill us. Can you think about that? I think God brought us, brought you out of slavery, taking you to the promised land, and then he's wicked for that. But you know, the Bible tells us that these things we are written as examples. Many times in our lives, we also forget that God is taking us somewhere. The journey of the work of God in your life and my journey is a journey unto glory. This world is not our home. The Christian that no matter the measure of success they measure you with. If you don't make heaven, you're a failure. Praise the Lord. 
And heaven is not an exam we are going to write next year. What Jesus said is be what? Ready. Heaven is where you have to be ready for it today. Not tomorrow. That's one of the things we get. He told us the truth. He told us, he said, do not labor for the meat that what? Perishes. I don't know if I've told you here, but I tell you, guests are welcome. If you eat my wife's afang soup now, or vegetable soup, you will relocate to my house. But I realize that when I eat it on Monday, in fact, when I finish eating that soup, I don't drink water. Ask my wife. Because the taste, I have to savor the taste for as long as possible. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me with jealousy. Cook your own. Marry your own wife. But you see, no matter how I enjoy it on Monday, by Tuesday, no matter how I try to reserve the taste, by Tuesday, it's gone. The other day I was thinking, I have to go and learn to cook this soup in case one day she will say she will not cook for me because I'm becoming addicted to the sweetness of this soup. No matter how I enjoy it today, tomorrow I need it afresh, isn't it? That's what the things of this life are. No matter how good they are, they can never satisfied. I told those of us who were here on Wednesday that Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, that's his name, right? The Amazon owner. He's the trillionaire or billionaire, whatever, richest man on earth. But this man reduced the salary of his staff to make more money. You thought he would have had enough money, Abby. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing in this world. Nothing, there is no place a man, no, there is nothing a man attains in this world that he puts full stop on. Because everything on this side is what? Vanity. The songwriter sang and said, Jesus, only you can what? Satisfy. And this is the truth Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, my goal is to bring you to a place. There is a place that is prepared for you. He said, I Go to prepare a place for you. So somebody might be in church here today and there might not be any seat for you in that party that you want to enter. There might not be any accommodation for you in that house where you are. There might not be something for you. But Jesus sent me to tell you, I have a place what? Prepared for you. And the experiences you're having today are to tailor you and to adjust you so that you'll be suitable and ready to make that place above. The greatness of God is not hindered in your life. He can walk anywhere. Listen, if God knows that I can handle, you know, five billion dollars, he will give it to me. But in his love, because of the eternal plan he has for me, he knows that if I have five billion dollars, I might start walking like this and be wondering what are these creatures here? What are they doing here? Why are you, why are you, why are you sitting down to greet me? Do you know who I am? <laughs> so in his wisdom... He keeps me, you know, keeps me in check. Why? Because his ultimate goal for my life is that where he is, what? I will be with him. So marriage, children, house, prosperity, you know, all of those things are nothing. And thankfully, he tells us plainly. You see, there's one statement that Lord Jesus made that I love so much. In that particular passage, John 14, it says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I pray that a lot of couples will get to that anointing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see some people, they dress and come out and wonder, are they living alone? Because their husbands did not tell them that they are, which one is it that is longer than Africa? When the 
when the uh, Nigeria is, is bigger than Africa, you know, maybe they have a no communication concerning the way I look, you know, policy in there. But that's a benefit. You tell them, this is nice, this is not nice, this is nice, this is not nice. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what Jesus said to them. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. It's a blessing. And you see some men, the business they do, your own people, your wife can't tell you to pay. Or you as a woman, you're, you're treating your nanny not well and your husband can't tell you. Don't allow that to happen. You need truth. Praise the Lord. You need truth in any relationship. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would not have told you. But if I'm telling you, it's because it is so. Be careful the way you are handling this matter. So we see from scripture here that Jesus was leading this people say believe in me take every word i say to you as truth don't go and live in some you know dream world you know you can take the bible this bible is a very powerful book you can take the bible and bring out any kind of thing and preach it to people and it will be sweet and they'll live in that you know utopia i don't know whether it's utopia or dreamland you will never be sick. You will never, in your marriage, you will never argue. Anything, if you say yes, your wife will say yes, 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 yes. If those who are married will know that it doesn't happen like that. But you can preach to people like that and with the microphone, you know, with a loud voice. You can say anything you like. That is not truth. You can defend it from scripture. Above, above only, never beneath. Eh? Moving forward always, never going back. Do you go from the top of one mountain to the other without passing through valley? Is it possible? Uh, no, it's not. So there are things, there are truths here that men in their effort to be nicer than they are will present to you, hiding those truths and leaving you at the place. Like the people who say to you that, you know, I was reading one man. He said, if you're born again, you automatically qualify for rapture. And you know, people would like to hear that kind of thing. Because you're born again and you're an adulterer and you hear that you say, I'm automatically qualified for rapture. My name is there. They said to some people, if you do this, your name will be removed. Though. You can hear that and just enjoy it. If you're born again, this and this, the devil can't touch you. The, Jesus was the son of God and the devil came to mince him as meat. If you're born again, this and this, those are convenient lies. You embrace them, you hold them. But Jesus doesn't love you that way. Neither does it mean that he can't protect you. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of that, what will happen? I shall fear no evil. It doesn't mean that we are open to, no. It means that we have to be led. He said, because of, he said, your rod and what? Your staff, they come. He leads me in the path of righteousness. What? For his name's sake. If he doesn't lead me, I'm dead. That's what the Christian must understand. The necessity for the greatness of God doesn't secure us. It is his leading. He said to me, tell them this way. Tell this way he gave it to me. He said, my greatness is not questioned. My power is not, I can do and undo. And my enemies know that. That's why the Bible says you believe, you do well. He said, even the demons, what? Or the devils, what do they do? They believe and they, they believe to, the, you know, you believe you're not trembling. Like I see some people in church during prayer, the way they sit there, you know that they believe, but God is their neighbor. God is living in the opposite flat. But the demons, they believe, and what are they doing? That's the extent of their believing. They believe and tremble. Okay? Why? Because where with them, God is not playing. So they know. But with you, God is not subduing us with his power. 
He's meeting us with his love. For God what? So love the world that he gave his only begotten son. That what should have, that who said, God is treating you and I with love. But the danger of that love is that you can spite it. You can look at that love and turn your back on it. You can look at what he's saying and refuse. So he gives us his truth. In Exodus 34 verse 6, you can put it on the screen for us. There's a passage that, you know, the statement that I've always preached from. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord God. Some of these passages, please, when is it? Let's read it together. Let's read it together. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness. You know, every time I've actually thought from this, I've always stopped at abounding in goodness. But he said to me, what's the other word there? Truth. And you know what? The truth is for my safety. The truth is what will bring me into the enjoy, maximum enjoyment of his goodness. So he began to say to me, do you know that it is my truth that will lead you to transformation? Just like we saw with the children of Israel. Just like we saw with the multitudes that ate the bread and you know, shouted Hosanna. That they were not transformed. And, and how many people were there in the upper room? 120. 120. 5,000 men ate loaves. 120 men waited for the Holy Ghost. What is that saying to you? It's not the miracle. It's not all those things. It is the truth that transforms. So it said to me, it said, when the Bible says transformation, Romans 12, 2, what does it say? It said, do not what? Do not be conformed, but what? By the, by the renewing. So the transformation, which is what is going to bring you into the image of Christ, is not going to be by miracles. It's not going to be by knowing God's power. It's by acquainting yourself with his truth. And now, you see, the truth is such a character that if you don't love the truth, like we said here, the truth has to be encountered. That's another one altogether. But what you learn here is this, is that if you don't love the truth, you will not, you know, take advantage of it. Truth is something you have to love. Recently, I don't know, okay, I'm, I'm talking about age recently a lot. But I have to ask for bitter cola. How many of us know what bitter cola is? The young ones will know if you are maybe 30 and under, you will know what bitter cola is. You see, I have what they call sweet, sweet tooth or sweet tongue. Do you understand? I still drink Milo. I'm sure it's not a surprise to you. I like Milo and, you know, those sweet things. But by reason of my age, I'm coming to embrace that I should also like bitter cola. And as bitter as it is, I'm asking for more. When they give me, I say, give me more. I don't like it, but I love it. <laughs> My age requires that what? I embrace it. Praise God. So the truth is something you must what? Come to love. The, the love of the truth. It doesn't mean it's sweet to you. It means you know it will save you. Let me, let's read because of time. Our Lord Jesus said, John 14, 6, says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and what? The life. No one can come to the Father, what? Except by me. These are some of the truths you must embrace, even in evangelism. No matter how you like that your friend, who is nice in the office, who is an alhaji, if he does not call on Jesus, he cannot be saved. I've seen some of us, you know, when we write about friends, maybe who died or something, who were Muslims and, you know, all kinds of... The way we write about them, we write them into heaven. It's a good wish. I am the way, I'm the truth, and what? I'm the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by me. It's not you that said it. You know this argument about, what, do you think your faith is better than me? Say, I'm only following. I'm not the originator. Why argue? I'm only following. It's your choice. If you want to end up there, I mean, praise the Lord. After service, I'll go to my house. You go to my house. Is there any argument the way to your house? But if you want to come to my own house, you have to follow my direction. So when the world says Christians are thinking too much of themselves, why are they the only ones that will go to heaven? The heaven of Jesus and the heaven of God the Father is only those who follow Jesus that will go there. But there might be other heavens that your people have created. When you get there, send me email. Do you understand what? It's, a, it's the truth. It's the truth. It's naked, naked. They call it naked truth, Abby. What about John 12? Full us fast. Our time is gone so we can run up. John, because today, you know what we're going to be thanking God? We're going to be thanking God for the truth. John 12, 24. Put it on the screen. What does it say? It says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You know, why I took this as this? I've seen the propensity in our time today with social media and all of that. People type in all kinds of things and say, just say amen. I don't know which part of the Bible they saw that, you know, if you just say amen, something will happen. Which, which chapter, which prophet preached it? There's a process. There's always a process. This, the size of the man's congregation does not convert his word to be true in your life by amen. And they say he's a prophet. He's a big man of God that said it. And then, if he's that big, let him take Panadol on your behalf. Let your headache go. Can he do it? No, you ha- there's something for you. Praise God. These are simple truths. What about Hebrews 12, 14? Hebrews 12, 14. What does it say? Very nice one. It says what? Pursue peace. Let's read it together, everybody. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which... How many love this truth? Without which no one. Without which no one. So it means if somebody... You know, the Bible is just so beautiful. It says if you go to the altar to offer a gift, you're not owing God. You're just going to offer a gift to God. And remember that your neighbor has what? Something again. It says leave the gift at the gate. Go back and what? Reconcile and then come back. That shows you how important peace with all. How many of us conveniently are not at peace and we're okay? I beg you. Pursue. The, the word there says what? Pursue. It didn't say spray peace. Pursue peace. What? With how many people? Nice people. All people. Difficult people. Artisans. Neighbors. Colleagues. Bosses. Pursue peace with all people. And what? Holiness. It said without which no one will see the Lord. Doesn't he love us to be telling us this? You know the thing about this is this. I don't know. But recently, uh, a few months ago, we did a service of songs for, for a sister that attends the church that died. And I was looking at her picture. I told my, my wife, as I was looking at her picture, the, the look on her eyes was, Pastor, did you tell me the truth? I said, thank God I told her truth. Too. See my hand, though. Because, you see, when someone dies, it's final. If someone goes to hell and you didn't tell the person the truth, I don't know what they're going to do to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pursue peace and holiness, without which no one, no one, no one. The picture was there. The face was just staring at me. I said, I almost threw my hands up. I tell you truth, though. So that's where you're going. Let it be your choice. But the truth must be told you. Okay, let's go on because of time. 
It says what? How many of us want to prosper? Luke 6.38, what does it say? Give and what? It shall be given to you. How many of us come to church with a mind, it shall be given to me, but we ignore giving? Now, that giving, don't get it, don't get the religious picture of that giving. That giving does not mean you sow seed to the man of God or you sow, no. Just give, give time, give love, give service, give whatever. Walk up to somebody, tell the person, can I serve you in any way? Have an attitude to give. Nobody goes to the supermarket and walks around there and is admiring the things and say, I receive, I receive, I receive. Keep receiving, you still go home empty-handed. If you take anything there, you're a thief. There are many spiritual thieves. The principle is what? Whatsoever man soweth, what will he do? Same he shall reap. So it is illegal, it is falsehood for you to have a mind to reap when you're not having a mind to sow. It's the truth. And it's so true that it happens not just in physical, but in everything. The Bible says that he that must have friends. Some say, I'm lonely and this. How many people are you ministering to their loneliness? This is the truth. I mean, these are things in the Bible. Jesus is saying to us here, look at another one, forgiveness, Matthew 18, 21, the very last verse in that story. It says, so will my heavenly father do, Matthew 18, 21. Okay, okay, if you go down, 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 down. Jesus told them a parable here, and, and the long and short of, of it was this. This forgiveness matter, don't take it lightly. It's a big deal to God. You know, our pastor, Pastor Banero, he's going to be with the Lord now. He told us here. You know, he said as a principle, he has decided to forgive people in advance. So when you offend him, he's not waiting to forgive you. He has what? Already forgiven you. And today, if you're here listening to me, please, Jesus sent me to tell you, you must forgive. It's not conditional. It's not con- You must forgive. If you don't forgive, your heavenly father will not what? Forgive. That's the truth. Don't you like that? That he's telling us, Lord, you will help us. Hebrews 13, 4. I'm just reading out some of them, you know, so that we just hear them and, you know, what the truth sounds like. I know my time is gone. Hebrews 13, 4. What does that one say? Read it for me, everybody. It's honorable among God and the bed. But what? They didn't say fornicators and adulterers. If their wife catches them or their husband catches them, he will deal with them. Who will handle, who is the one judging in this matter? No matter how much peppermint and perfume you spray to convert whatever you're coming from, it doesn't matter. God is the one that will judge it. He said, God will judge. King James will say, God shall judge. It's settled. So, fleeing this life of fornication and adultery is not because of your wife, it's not because of your, it's not because of the pastor, it's not because of your church, it's because God judges it. And if you are struggling with it, that's what prayer is for. You know, someone has said that in these days, after church, nobody weeps at the altar. This is the type of thing you hear when people are going to eat pop-up after service. You're here rolling on the floor because you don't want God to judge you. And the way you get God not to judge you is not by not wanting him to judge you. It's by, you know, doing what will not allow him to what? Judge you. Simple. It's truth. It's clear to us. These are things written in our excitement as Christians. We are excited of his power, but his truth, we are not excited about it. If you keep telling these things, people will be angry. They will be feeling, you know, all kinds of ways in church. They will not want to come back. It's better, you know, I heard some hospitals, if they gauge a patient and see that the patient might die, they reject the patient. 
People have taken, you know, patients to hospitals and they reject them because they feel that this patient... So they don't want it to be said that this patient died in their hospital. If you don't want truth, don't, don't come. It's all right. Let's work with those of us that are eager. We're not perfect, but we are pressing forward to the mark of the high calling Christ. We want to embrace this truth. Some of them are not convenient. Some of them are difficult. Like this one of forgiving, isn't it? Some people will hurt you, but then that is where there's prayer. You go to God in prayer and say, Lord, heal my heart. Brethren, this miracle God works. Oh, hallelujah. Our time is gone, but it's all right. Okay. This miracle that God works is an all-round miracle. Do you know God can work a miracle of love in your heart for somebody who you're angry with? Do you know God can work a miracle of generosity in your hands, even though you're tight-fisted? Those are things I pray. I say, Lord, you're a miracle working God. So that miracle, work it in me in this way. Work, me, work in me humility. Work in me patience. Work in me gentleness. Work in me love. Work, that's, that's a miracle. If it's difficult, is it not a miracle? But that's not the one most of us want. Work a miracle of self-control. Work a miracle of contentment. Some of us need that miracle like nothing. Oh, walk it in me. Walk it in me. Walk a miracle of humility. These are things God works. Praise the Lord. Okay, okay, let's take the last one and we'll round up. Revelation 21, verse 8. This one has a catalog of things. Let's read together, everybody. But a cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, shall have their part in GRA, Asokoro. Is that my time I'm seeing there? What are you seeing there? No, no, no. You see, you see, get my point. I'm not reading this to scare you. It hasn't happened. There's forgiveness with him that he may, he may be feared, isn't it? We're reading this so that we benefit from the truth. How many of us would like to see an expo for an exam you're going to write? I mean, it will make things a lot easier. This is Expo they are giving us. Why should Expo make you sad? Do you understand? This will help you not to be found in the lake of fire. Let's rise on our feet. I love the way you love me. I love the way you, you love me with truth. You love me with truth. No surprises. That's the beauty about Christianity. No surprises. Muhammad said to them, he doesn't know where he's going. No. Jesus said, I came from heaven. I'm going back there, and then I'm going to come back to take you. There are no surprises in Christianity. He says, no man has gone. No man has seen, but I have seen it, and I've come to show you how he is. There are no surprises. I want you to appreciate the Lord for truth. I want you to appreciate the Lord. You know, my, my, my wife and I were saying, if somebody dies, does he know where he is? We, whatever the person does not know, truth will remain truth. Do you understand? They say, heaven... There's a place where there are no more tears, no more sorrows. And you can live life here even without heaven in your heart. When you fully embrace the word of God, you can live today as though you're in heaven. It does not mean materially, but in a state of mind. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the word gives. You can enter into him today. I want you to throw up your heart. Let's lift up your heart and say to him, Jesus, I love you for your truth. Because you tell me the truth. And then the beautiful thing is that he just doesn't tell me the truth and leave me to struggle. He gives me grace 
The Bible says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So for every truth he proclaims to me, his grace is available to make that truth become my experience. So Lord, I lift up my voice in adoration, in worship. You are beautiful. You are excellent. Let your grace abound to me. The songwriter says, when your eyes are on this child, Lord, your grace abounds to me. Lord, I receive your truth with love. I receive your truth with love. I embrace it. I'm not perfect. There are many areas I come short. But your grace, you have promised to me. And that grace is what I come for. Lord, give me grace, oh Lord. The song says again, give me grace to follow. Give me abundant grace to follow. Lead me, oh Lord, in this path. For that truth, I thank you. That nobody deceives me. That nobody is going to play a trick on. That nothing will be a surprise. The Christian has no surprise. In this world, there will be tribulation. But be of good, you have overcome. In this world, trials will come. But the Christian will always come overcoming. He's always going to overcome that trial. And come out with testimonies. The Job said, even if I'm tried, I will come forth as gold. That is the way it is. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for truth. And above all, I want to thank you for the grace. You don't just leave me stranded on the road with truth. You make grace available. Grace for sanctification. Grace for purity. Grace for faithfulness. Grace even to believe. Yes, he gives grace to believe. The young man, the, the man that had a child that was sick, said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus said, I will help you unbelief. And heal the child. So it doesn't matter the situation and circumstance. Jesus is your answer. Will you say thank you to him? Will you say thank you, Jesus? Will you surrender to him? Is there somebody here? Maybe this is not your first time in church. But you have never even called on him to start this journey. You're not yet born again. You have never said to Jesus, I now come to you to be my Lord and Savior. Today, save me. I want to be born again. You may be here. I can pray with you anywhere you are. I can raise your hand. You raise your hand so I can pray with you anywhere you are. So we pray together before we go on to thank the Lord. Is there any person here? Jesus, I come to you today. I want you to save me. I want you to save me. Pastor, pray for me, Jesus, to come into my life. Is there any person? You can wave that hand so I can see you. Father, we bless you. Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ikina Keke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-158804. You can find us online at www.thefatherschurchonline.org. God bless you.